0: Hello and welcome to episode number 12 of For Fit's Sake, the podcast brought to you by FS Gyms. This week, myself and Rudds are going to be joined by Danny Lennon of Sigma Nutrition to talk about weight cutting for MMA fighters, weight cutting for people looking to shred body fat, the do's and don'ts, and we're just going to have a little chat about Danny, about his experience in the industry. And before we get in, Rudds, how are you doing? I'm great, yeah, feeling good today. And Danny, feeling good? I'm great, ready for it. Good man, so just give a bit of background on yourself, Danny. You don't try not to cringe too bad as I read out your profile directly from the website. Uh, Danny's the founder of Sigma Nutrition and the main man behind the content creation on the site. Excellent content, by the way, if anybody hasn't checked them out. Danny's got a master's degree in nutritional sciences from UCC, during which, uh, at that time, Danny completed his research thesis directly under the world-renowned vitamin D researcher, Professor Kevin Cashman. Um, in addition to the research, Danny also has, how many books of Sigma Nutrition brought out now on weight cutting? Uh,
1: we've got one main book is the one that we kind of divert people towards, yeah. Okay. The rest are kind of just free guides up on the site, so yeah. And that's people to. And the main man
0: for the podcast, podcast is obviously going great, the Sigma Nutrition podcast, we'd be big fans of that here in the gym. Great, great to hear, yeah, so yeah. it's
1: going all well, so can't complain.
0: Yeah, so we're going to try to pull you apart in a few bits we've discussed <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, but uh, just, I'll hand you over to Rudd's, Rudd's going to run us through the main things that we're going to talk about with Danny today. So... The three areas we wanted to cover was uh, the key
2: strategies for weight cutting, key strategies for good nutrition and training for powerlifting. The first thing, obviously, the opportunity to have you in here today um, and for myself to pick your brains on a few things because for myself, I've never worked with a fighter or a combat athlete or anyone really looking to cut weight. Um, my experience would be more in terms of people looking to improve body composition over like a longer period of time. So I just wanted to kind of get some... Um, some insights from you. First of all, like what would you say some of the key strategies are for working with someone who's trying to cut weight for a combat sport?
1: Yeah, so there's probably a bit of background to lead into that to, be able to yeah. answer your question. So I think the first thing that people should be aware of is what we're talking about with cutting weight or what weight cutting is because for different people they may interpret it differently. And I think certainly what we're referring to with athletes competing in weight class based sports the reason why we're weight cutting is that most competitive athletes that are in a certain weight class typically are gonna be walking around at a heavier body weight most of the time. And the reason we acutely cut weight in a short period of time is to get down to a lower weight class so you essentially have an advantage at competition because you're competing against smaller people which typically is gonna be beneficial if you're in a strength sport like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting or if you're a fighter like an MMA or boxing against smaller people, you have the kind of advantage, or at the very least nowadays, because everyone cuts weight, you're not at a disadvantage. Yeah, a yeah. Well, so what, what's, in,
0: what's your walking around weight and are competing weight, just for a bit so of perspective? So just as
1: for me, for powerlifting, because it's only a two hour weigh-in, uh, it's not that large a weight cut, um, I would typically walk around somewhere between 76 to 77 kilos and compete in the 74 kilo class. Okay. Um, so some people may do bigger weight cuts, some people might not do any weight cuts at all, which we'll probably get into later in the show, But in general, uh, particularly with fighting with MMA guys or boxers who have a 24 hour plus lag time between the weigh-in and the fight, we can cut quite a large amount of body weight and then by the time the fight comes around, have that restored back to almost their normal body weight. So we're we're trying to increase their competitiveness by getting them into a lower weight class. So we do this practice of weight cutting. Now... The second part of this is that there's two essential phases we can think of of bringing their body weight down. So from the normal body weight to what we want them to weigh in at. One is more of a longer term, say chronic decrease in body weight, which is what most people would be familiar with, of like dieting them down through a calorie deficit, losing some body fat, and then that allows them to bring their body weight down gradually. Now that's one part and I would think that's distinct from this practice of weight cutting as I'm going to discuss it that's more of like dieting gradually weight cutting in the kind of second sense of this very acute weight drop can be we can decrease someone's body weight by a, a number of kilos in the like last five to seven days before they're weigh in v- uh, via a few different strategies which you which can touch on and the idea here is without having to essentially uh, under eat or without having to lose body fat or muscle, we can do things to alter your scale weight So we can lose water from your body. We can lose uh, Glycogen or stores of carbohydrate from your muscle and liver uh, we can lose uh, Residue that's in your gastrointestinal tract and all these things will reduce your body weight on the scale in a short period of time and uh, You weigh in at that lower weight make your weight class and then in that period between then and your competition You can restore these things and bring your body weight back up. So that's the kind of general overview of what it is. Um, And then, if you want, we can get into any of the specifics of those strategies.
2: Absolutely. Like, I'd love to hear about some of those. But just in terms of, like, for for that, as you know, as a as a coach, for you, would you ever have? So, for me, listening to that, I'm thinking the first part you're talking about, the diet and down, is almost the preparation for the weight cut. That's the thing that like leads you to be in the best possible scenario where you've got to cut the least amount of weight it's going to have the least amount of effect on your body. It's less pressure for you as a fighter. Sure. Um, would you ever have people where they come to you and they're kind of maybe not as disciplined or not in the habits with that stuff and they just want that <laughs> second part right. to, to go in? And if, if that's the case, like how would you deal with that uh, as a coach? First of all, to get them to be prepared to sure. cut down.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point because let's take someone that might be cutting like, weight via dehydration and so on, to get down to a lower weight class, but because they're not paying attention to their body composition, or like I said, they're not diligent enough in their day-to-day nutrition and training, they're carrying too much excess body fat. So let's say we have a fighter that's a bit out of shape, carrying too much body fat, and so therefore starting having to resort to large dehydration to make weight. Now, while he's still making weight, if we were to get him in better shape and decrease his body fat over time, so he's leaner, Now, like you say, he has less weight actually cut via dehydration methods, which has a a lower knock-on effect on performance. And it's always a balancing act because that's the thing to bear in mind when we use these strategies like uh, glycogen depletion or uh, dehydration or using saunas or water loading, any of this type of stuff. There's always some detriment to performance. Mm. And so no matter what you do, if you're cutting weight, you're always going to be... Uh, impacting performance compared to if you didn't. So, for example, if someone's a powerlifter, if you cut a couple of kilos for meat, you're not going to be able to perform at your very peak versus if you didn't. Yeah. Now, the trade off is just that you're in a different weight class, so it's a trade off for competitiveness. So, same thing with fighter. If we can have either them in better condition, so if they cut less weight, great or if we get them in better shape, maybe they're now able to make a lower weight class, or at the very least, it's the same weight class that make easier, yeah. less stress to their body, and not on to effect. So the best way to address that is to talk that through with the fighter, saying like, this is gonna help you perform. Because if you, if you work with any athletes, that's the thing you typically see, they're not gonna care about if it's a problem with their health or anything like, like this. It's like, if it's gonna help them perform better, yeah. like, then they'll listen if
0: not they're not what what are the red flags for you if you're dealing with an athlete say in a six week build up to fight like is there certain performance indicators or health indicators that you'll go right this is having the opposite effect there's no point in cutting to the point that you can enter the competition when your performance is going to be have you got a a scale for that or yes so
1: typically the more time we have out from competition with an athlete the better and what we'll try and do is work back from what they're planning to weigh on and what the current body weight is to see okay during this period of time, if we're going to diet you down, we don't want it to be too aggressive because that's going to impact your training performance. So maybe we can lose some body weight at the rate of maybe a pound a week, say, or half a kilo a week for a number of weeks to bring your body fat down. Then we say, okay, we've got six weeks to do that. That will bring your body weight to X amount of kilos. And we want to have kind of buffers out of how much they can actually cut acutely. So, for example, with a 24-hour weigh-in, what I typically suggest is having to cut no more than like 8% of your body weight in that kind of final week, maybe an upper level of 10% for some people. That'd be quite a big cut. Yeah. Um, and again, that's for if you have 24 hours or more between the weigh-ins. Um, for a two-hour weigh it's going to be much smaller, maybe 3 4% of your body weight. So once we know what that, how much we can cut in that final week, then we know how what their body weight needs to be seven days out from the weigh-in. Yeah. And then we can work back from there to decide, okay, how many weeks of dieting do you need to get to that one-week-out mark? Uh, and then if that's going to be too much, we either need to re-evaluate whether they can stay in this weight class or whether they need to push off this next competition to a ne- uh, further one so they have more time to actually get in proper shape. Um, now, of course, time to time, you'll get people coming to you who have like a fight set and they're, they've yeah. you know, exhausted all other they're coming to you as a last resort there's a few weeks to go and you can do what you can but really you have to get them to understand it's going to be suboptimal
0: and to uh, sign a waiver immediately right <laughs> I mean, it's like,
1: so like there's there's not a problem in so many cases of me being able to get someone to make weight I mean that's the easy part and that's what most fighters miss is like there's there's lots of ways I can get you to make weight but the goal of performance nutrition and weight cutting isn't to get you to make weight it's so that you actually win a fight. Yeah. So what's the point in making weight if you're gonna perform terribly? So I think it's just a shift in mindset a lot of fighters and athletes in general need to think of. When they think of nutrition, it's to help them win. It's not to, oh my nutrition's only to get me in shape so I can make yeah. weight and the rest is my job.
2: And in terms of just like the, so once we got past that first point and you've got someone where you've worked with them and you've got them to the point that you're saying that you think you can confidently get them down and still perform, like what would be some of those strategies in the acute phase that you touched on there?
1: Yeah, so uh, a couple of ones to start. I think the first one that maybe is very underused that should probably be used across the board as your first port of call is using a low residue diet. Um, so this is a, essentially a low-fiber diet that's used for a couple of days. It's, most of the research behind this is actually related to uh, like irritable bowel syndrome or gastrointestinal disorders where you can put someone on a diet that's very low in fiber uh, and what that does is it leaves less food residue within someone's intestines. So while fiber is very beneficial and most of the time people should be consuming uh, plenty of it, it, it does leave more residue because of the slower time to, for it to go through the gastrointestinal tract. So if you stop consuming most of it for two to three days, you can drop nearly 1% of someone's body weight, depending on what their normal habitual fiber intake is. So for a lot of people, it could be half a kilo to a kilo of body weight just by eating a low fiber diet for three days before their weigh-in. And that's gonna have zero impact on performance, which is the main strategy why I think that's the first part of call for most people. So immediately now you've got rid of somewhere between half a percent to 1% of your body weight. From there, depending on the competition, how long you have, if you have 24 hours or more between the weigh-in and the competition, the other thing you can do is carbohydrate restriction for maybe the last 10 days or so before the weigh-in. So carbohydrate restriction is gonna deplete someone's glycogen stores, from their muscle and liver of carbohydrate. That has weight, obviously, because it's carbohydrate stored, but it also has water associated with each molecule of glycogen. So you lose water weight and glycogen weight from the muscle and liver. So you can bring someone's body weight down by another couple of percent just by depleting them with glycogen. And because you have 24 hours or more between that and the competition, you can refuel in that window of time with more carbohydrates, restore all that kind of uh, glycogen and have them back full again. And then the kind of third part would be someone's water weight, which is the one that most people tend to think of. I'll dehydrate myself and then afterwards I'll rehydrate. So the goal that we try and do is we will have some degree of water loss to make weight with our athletes. But if we've done uh, the point of getting them in shape by getting their body fat down, then we use a low residue diet and we've depleted them of glycogen. Now the amount of weight they are actually relying on dehydration for is a lot less as opposed to someone trying to decrease their body weight by eight percent purely through dehydration so for water losses the main way we go about this is have a a few days of water loading which again another common strategy a lot of athletes use where they consume more water than they usually would so it could be something like seven eight nine liters depending on how big the athlete is uh, essentially here this is to upreg- upregulate some of the mechanisms that cause uh, urinary output and the idea is when you restrict water then say the day before the weigh in and bring it right down to a litre of fluid or less that some of those mechanisms stay upregulated or lag time before it catches up so you stay losing more water and we, we have one study on this so it's, it's the only one so far that's looked at this mechanism but out of uh, Australia they looked at a water loading Uh, phase followed by restriction versus just restricting and the athletes did actually lose a bit more water so we do that we strict their water the day before the weigh-in they lose some water weight if there's any more on top that they still need to lose then you can use some of the dehydration tactics that are kind of commonly seen in flight sports like using a sauna or doing some light exercise and if an athlete is resorting to those we typically try and keep that to be like a very small amount and right at the end if they need to so if it's a sauna maybe the last half a kilo or something and they do that the morning of the weigh-in yeah. so that the amount of time they're in the most dehydrated state is as short a shorter window as mm. possible so they'd be the main strategies um, there's other things you can do like play around with salt intakes you can look at things like uh, <laughs> caffeine can be as a diuretic um, there's some kind of natural diuretics people can use like dandelion root and um, Typically, we try and focus on the other few strategies first, uh, and we certainly keep people away from dangerous practices like excessive dehydration or using like prescription um, diuretics as well, which can be very dangerous, uh, fatal in some in cases. So they'd be the the primary strategies we rely on.
2: That's really interesting, especially like all of them. Uh, some of them, I would add, um, some sort of knowledge of through reading people's books on weight cutting or even just watching the ufc documentaries like the embedded and you see a lot of these strategies in place and you kind of get insights but um the low residue diet is something i'd never heard of before in terms of that is it a case of you getting someone to kind of switch over a lot of their carbohydrate sources to more like processed with less fiber that type of thing or is it so
1: if it's an athlete who we're also losing glycogen with they're already on a low carb diet from say seven to ten days out so now what happens in the final three days is their current carb sources, opposed to being like fibrous vegetables, they're pretty much all gone. Um, so we get rid of any kind of uh, fibrous vegetables, any kind of um, things that may be consuming uh, like whole nuts and things like that that can have some yeah. fiber. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we just switch over to basically some sources of protein and fat that have very little fiber. Um, so it, it can be quite a limited amount of food choice they have. <laughs> in
0: those final few days. Rhodes, you would not um, like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
1: not fun. Uh, but at the same time, we also try to keep their food volume down as well in those final few days. So we don't want them having large, fibrous meals that take up a large amount of uh, space yeah. in, in their intestine uh, and in their stomach. So we want to have quite calorie-dense meals so they are still getting calories in, but a very small um, volume that's taken up. So it works out well. So we keep it to like some, maybe some smooth nut butter and some... Yogurt and then some uh, meats and some cheese, um, and then on the kind of very final day or two, it'll be completely unprocessed if possible. Yeah, so we're avoiding like very salty meats and so on. Yeah, because yeah, we continue to lose water
0: w- with that. Then, anyone they're getting back into, say, like just. When, with that carbohydrate and uh, water restriction is there any big risks with like say for example 24 hours before a fight the weigh in is done when you get back into that kind of carb loading phase again for lack of a better word or reloading and then you're, you're rehydrating is there any big risks or can, does much go wrong in that phase
1: um, typically the, the, the main risk is a very mild one of just like gastrointestinal distress so the easiest way to do that is just make sure you have a set schedule of what that refeeding looks like so rather than just say I'm going to weigh in I'm just going to go eat a ton of food. Like the old school thing, of I'll weigh in and I'll just go have a massive pizza. Probably not going to be a good idea. So we have a very structured uh, layout for how much fluid we want them consuming each hour and how much carbohydrate they're consuming each hour. Because you're only going to be able to restore those things at a certain rate. So there's no point in drinking... 5 litres of water in one go afterwards right? Yeah. so we're looking at a typical rate of somewhere around maybe a litre of fluid per hour on average maybe a bit more in the first hour afterwards and maybe uh, in that first hour after the weigh in getting around 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate and then from there on we'll look at like large carbohydrate meals uh, but again have it in a kind of stepwise fashion where we're not force feeding you down because we know we have enough time and as long as we get enough food in that window we're we're probably going to be good Um, so as long as we have a a time frame set out we know how much carbohydrate we want to fuel before the fight we can lay that out in a structured manner and make sure no one meal is going to overly stress them
0: but
2: based on my kind of experience um, with with rugby, So like uh, something I would have played around with a lot uh, when I was kind of in my early 20s was what I'd eat the day of a game because I used to suffer from gastrointestinal uh, pro- attached to nerves. So I'd be very nervous before games mm. and then that would upset my stomach and always get stomach cramps. Um, and then working with the nutrition coach, something she did with me was she was giving me strategies. But then what she was getting me to do was to practice them away from the games and then see how it feels obviously it's not the same with the nerves but just getting used to the feeling getting the practice in and then when you go to a game day it's the same thing and after a while of playing around with things I did find that I got to a place where I could play without even with being very nervous and not get the gastrointestinal issues would you recommend someone who's uh, new to the weight cutting to practice like a weight cut before they go in and actually go into a competition you know it could be a few months out mm-hmm. have a kind of trial run of it and then build a routine that works yeah. for them. so the first time they're not reloading isn't out, leading into their first fight when obviously the psychological stress would be even more because that will be attached right. to yeah, gastrointestinal
1: sure. so like that's one thing we recommend whenever possible to any our athletes if they don't have a fight coming up.
0: That's in an Super ideal world, though. That's probably r- rare enough you get yeah, that. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: the, the cases where we have someone that comes to us who's already fight booked and they realize they're maybe in a bit of trouble trying to make weight and they come to us for their first fight, then we have to do what we can. But it, for our long-term clients, then after that, when we have a window of time where they're not going to be competing, uh, we can sit down and plan when we're going to have a test weight cut. It's something I recommend to most of the athletes who are doing this for themselves as well just as number one see how you tolerate different levels of, of weight cut we have some athletes who can cut a large amount of weight refuel perfectly fine perform well we have others who don't and actually do better with small amounts of weight cut and actually do better by going up a weight class so they don't have to cut that much weight at yeah. all and then there's examples of this all over in elite sport right I was talking to someone the other day about if you take the UFC you've had guys who cut crazy amounts of weight uh, Conor McGregor when he was at featherweight could be made of huge weight cuts. Then you have someone like Frankie Edgar when he was lightweight champion cut like two pounds, like walked around his <laughs> normal weight. Uh, you have people like Anthony Johnson who would kill himself to make 170 pounds was like missed weight a lot of times was fainting in the back. He moves up two weight classes and then goes on to become one of the best light heavyweights in the world. So it's not that weight cutting is always better. Cutting large weight is better than not cutting weight. It depends on the person, how they tolerate it. So that's why a a practice weight cut comes in. You also can get a timeline of what you can expect to happen. So if you start tracking your body weight every morning and night, the week of a weight cut, you can see typically how much you lose overnight. So then you get an idea of, okay, the night before my weigh-in, what do I need to be going to bed at? Because I I predictably lose 0.8 kilos overnight all the time. Or I'm someone who loses at one and a half kilos or, or whatever it is. So, those things uh, for sure, just to know where you're at and how much you should cut or target to. And then the second part of what you say of, of being able to have something practiced and having a routine that's replicable. Um, but even beyond that, the, the easiest way to get around that is just for any of the refeed period, uh, any of the food choices that they select should be foods that they're just used to having. Yeah. And uh, it's something that you see all the time with every type of athlete, right? They eat a certain way all the time and then they have a big competition or event and then suddenly they do something new everything changes yeah I have to buy this new supplement or I'm trying this new pre-workout so help me and it's all this new stuff that they don't really need to be trying and just rather than sticking to what they typically don't now and are used to and they can reliably perform on
0: mastering the consistent basics that's kind of what we talk about a lot with a lot of our clients is like better basics equals better results and if you can master those then you can play around with the one or two percenters and right. actually you'll feel the bang for buck on those instead of getting caught with the top of the pyramid and not laying the big blocks in the right, bottom yeah
1: and especially if it's something new or a bit unknown you don't know how you're going to respond to a certain stimulus or a certain type of food uh, or a certain supplement so why would you put it in at the most important time? Uh, possible, you know.
2: So the risk reward—it's not going to exactly. be. It's not like the, you're not going to probably take something that will make you superhuman. No, exactly. But you yeah. could take something that just doesn't agree with you, and yeah. you feel terrible when yeah, you going yeah, into yeah. competition. Yeah, you, you, you never
1: eat a certain type of meal, and then you decide to eat that the night before competition. Like that's a bad idea. Yeah. Like, yeah, something
0: could go wrong here. But so. before Rods goes on to kind of the next thing, which is like the the kind of fundamentals and key strategies for good nutrition in general. I've got a, a question for you based on my experience myself and Rudd's picked one up the um, one or two of the Irish records on their own machine uh, about two years ago Rudd's do you still have them? I, I still think, have them? no Damien Brown's taken mine yeah. well, that's fair yeah, he's but, a good yeah, guy to, like to take them off you take take about three years ago i say you can grill him on that when we have them in a the few weeks but um, yeah so like I saw Rudd's had the 500 metre record or the 100 whatever it was I can't remember I was like I want to, to try and get one of these records on the road, so I went down anyway uh, took on the 500 meter record smashed it was over the moon going to up, upload my score onto Concept and I was delighted with myself and um, it, it got to the like, categories like lightweight or heavyweight so I clicked lightweight and I was uploading everything the pictures and the scales and everything like lightweight was the difference was seventy five kgs, which was the cutoff for lightweight and heavyweight. So I was like, "Oh my god, and I'm competing against Rods here, like he who's smoking me by like twenty seconds over like five hundred meters something." So I was absolutely disgusted with myself, and I was like, I was, "I was so upset, I was so disappointed because I trained for it for you know yeah. four or five weeks and it went pretty hard at So I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut, I'm gonna try cut like four kgs, get back on, and slam the five hundred meters after 15-20 seconds on the rower after dropping to like." just just about able to hit the weight i was goosed like nothing left in me whatsoever like again obviously it was a short period of time i did it over like three four days i was trying to just not eat quite as much a little bit more cardio and same thing like restrict my water a little bit but like performance was just goosed straight away so like when you're looking at different energy systems obviously different for a fighter different for a powerlifting meet and do you get sort of many other sports where the energy system, there's a really big balance that you have to think of as a coach between right. What is, what's a really big difference between these strategies for what this guy or girl needs to perform.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one is, and it comes with a lot of our combat athletes as well, but particularly, say, for people competing in amateur boxing and things of that nature where they're competing on the same day. Um, now, it's different to, say, powerlifting because with powerlifting, we don't need to be as reliant on having full glycogen stores mm-hmm. for that event. So we can have some degree of carbohydrate restriction to make weight, have two hours before we go and compete but still be okay. For a boxer going into their competition with some degree of glycogen depletion is going to limit their performance. Mm. So now we can't do the same cutting strategy because of that and again coming down to the energy system demand we need them to have full glycogen stores so we would in those cases tend to push. For those athletes not to restrict carbohydrate to make weight, instead rely on the other two kind of strategies we mentioned, cut less weight overall and therefore be able to perform better. And so in a lot of cases that may mean competing at a a higher body weight or a weight class up, um, purely based on those demands. And I think that's a, a case where... The, again, understanding the energy system's demands comes in, that you want to have glycogen stores. You don't have enough time to replete them, so let's not cut them out. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to have to put on a lot of weight to compete with you, Rod, suddenly, uh, yourself <laughs>
1: yeah. and Damien. You can't get taller, that's
2: the only That is the only problem. I've been trying for years, hanging out with the chin-up bars, yeah. yeah, doing my best. In terms of, so like, there may be some people who are listening to this podcast um, are fighters themselves, and they're going to definitely be able to take this stuff and uh, maybe some of the people listening are coaches or strength and conditioning coach and nutritionists. So that, again, they'll be able to take some of this for the general population. This might be something that's interesting to hear about, but not necessarily applicable to their goals. So, but I'd imagine what you talked about that first phase of the weight cut is in the non-acute phase where you're trying to diet down. It w- I'd imagine some of that stuff would be applicable to the people out there who are looking to do, uh, like eight twelve weeks till their wedding or eight twelve weeks right. till they're going on holiday, whatever it might be. They've got some event coming up and they want to improve body composition in the lead up to that. Would there be a lot of carryover from that non-acute phase in terms of the principles you'd use, and uh, then to people in general public who are looking to improve body composition? over yes, twelve so weeks.
0: Just for context, I'm getting married in ten weeks, so I'm all here. So <laughs>
1: Let's see what it means. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so I think the big thing to, for people to be aware of is, like I said at the outset, sometimes there's a tendency for people to think, okay, I've got X amount of weeks that I want to get in great shape. I've heard these fighters cut like 10 kilos for this fight. What will I, what, can I do? And thinking that these weight cutting strategies are going to way help them. And I think it's just that typical confusion that so many people, I'm sure, coming to you guys have of conflating scale weight changes versus body composition yeah. changes. Yeah, and so what we're what is critical to remember is that these strategies we talked about for cutting weight in the acute sense are just things to like almost artificially for one snapshot of time bring down your scale weight that do nothing for your body composition. You're not in those final few days before weighing someone isn't getting in better shape. They're not losing any body fat. So what we want to focus on if someone wants to improve their body composition over that 8, 10, 12 weeks is how do we allow you to lose body fat whilst also at the very least maintaining muscle mass. And in some cases, particularly for newer lifters, actually being able to increase muscle mass in the same period of time. So that would be kind of a whole other set of considerations that we're looking at, Uh, which, like I say, is fairly similar to that first phase I mentioned of dieting an athlete down. The difference here would be for someone who just wants to get in shape in say eight weeks, they don't have to have the same attention to what that diet is gonna to do to performance. Yeah. So with our, our fighter, for example, we want them to diet at a, at a rate that is not so aggressive that they can still perform well in the gym. Now if someone just wants to lose as much body fat as they can in eight weeks, What we want to do is allow them to do that without going so far that they're going to lose a ton of muscle as well. But we don't have to care if their performance dips, uh, for example, because that's not their priority. So that would be the main difference. And so the same principles apply of, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to put them in a calorie deficit. We're going to make sure they're eating enough protein. We're going to try and fuel them so they can get through their workout successfully. But we're not as worried about Performance uh, as, a, as a bottom line and so we can potentially go a bit more aggressive depend, Again, depending on the yeah. person as I'm sure we'll get into uh, if we want to um, so that would be the big difference between what we might do with an athlete versus general pop I think
2: for, for my, my own coaching something that I found out over the last few years where I've shifted to working with more people on their body composition um, would be that calorie deficit and the amount of misinformation or misbelief that a lot of people have where like they from my experience a lot of people will be so focused on things like their macronutrient splits and food quality all these types of things but they're not addressing being in a consistent calorie deficit and then they're getting frustrated or saying i can't lose weight i can't do this but a lot of people aren't so for us we talk about eating to 80 percent full and eating slowly as a way of Getting you into a calorie deficit without necessarily having to count your calories, but if you can do that consistently, or it might be tracking your calories. But I've found personally as a coach is something that most people just overlook because they want to focus on well, if I just get a little bit more protein or get, and those things are definitely all important. But have you seen that in your own coaching practice, working with people in the general population, where a lot of people will be like, "I'm eating good, healthy foods," these types of words, but they're not;
1: they're just missing that block. It's, it's one of the most common things to see. You know, of, of like how many people do you know that have gone on a phase of... Uh, I'm eating really good or I'm eating healthy food... But I'm not losing any body fat. Um, and like you say, it's purely because... If you're not losing body fat over an extended period of time... You are not in a calorie deficit. You are not expending more calories than you are consuming. And so regardless of the food choices... If you are just consuming too many calories... Or even if you're consuming an amount that matches your expenditure... Yeah. Your body has no reason to try and lose body fat, right? It meets all its energy demands. So you have to cause your body to need to be able to go and use some of these fat stores for energy. So that doesn't matter what the food source is. Um, Why food quality is important is obviously for the health issues, but it typically makes sticking to a calorie deficit easier as well, which we talk about in a while. Um, So food quality is still important. We're not saying that. But if you are not making progress, it's because you're not in a calorie deficit, The second part is something I think you touched on as well, that that doesn't mean you have to count calories. That's one method of doing it. But other methods would be looking at your overall portion size. It could be changing your meal frequency from five meals to three. It could be changing your food quality from, uh, uh, and this again works for some people when they switch to a better quality diet, when they start losing weight initially, is that by just switching from more processed foods to better quality foods, they'll end up eating less calories overall because it's harder to overeat on more kind of natural yeah. whole foods. So all these different methods, those intermittent fasting, low-carb diets, whatever method someone is using, if they are making progress and losing body fat over an extended period of time, they're all working for the same reason, so they're in a calorie deficit.
0: So I'm going to, just on so that, like, yeah. people are listening to that and it's just as the type of clients that we get we'd see we work on online nutrition coaching people who you know, i get exactly that when i start working with clients my diet's great it's really really good but like they're not losing the weight and what you're saying there to some people is just too simple it's cutting from say five meals to four meals a day that's how you drop some calories it's eating to 80 percent full like Rods is saying so you're not overeating it's eating slowly so you can listen to your hunger signals or it's the simplest one which Rods you credited was i think the biggest difference when you had what was from 11 to 5% body fat whatever yeah. it was was eaten out of a bowl instead of eating out of a plate that put rudds in a calorie deficit for the 16 weeks it was just that small thing but there's people listening to this podcast that go that's too simple that won't work for me but it's exactly like you we are saying right. so
1: I mean the, the overall principle is simple of I need to eat less the, the thing that's more nuanced and where I suppose the art of coaching an individual comes in is what strategy is going to work for one person is going to be different from person to person so what we might need to do with you to get you in a calorie deficit may be different from someone else. So one person might respond really well to just tracking their calories on MyFitnessPal, right? They love that, they love seeing the data, it's easy. Yeah. Another person can hate that. So they're the person who might have found a low-carb diet useful because just by saying, okay, I'm not eating carbohydrates, it cuts out all the foods they typically overeat on. For someone else, intermittent fasting, they, they cut their eating window down, allows them to eat less calories. So none of these things is the best strategy. Some of them are suboptimal for some people, but if it's about finding, okay, based on this person and their preferences, which one of these is likely to cause them to start under eating. And I think the big thing that people need to realize is if they're gonna lose body weight over time, that it is just undereating. So just because you're eating healthy food, that's not gonna make any difference because your body doesn't want to stay losing. Yeah. Body weight. Like it's, that would make no sense just because you eat healthy food your body stays dropping body weight over time that would make no sense you have to under eat so there's going to be times where you're going to be hungry or want to have more food at, at least at some point along that journey because by nature dieting is under eating and that's why it's hard and that's why we don't want to do it and that's why we need to find these structures that make it a bit more tolerable so that's where like food choice comes in can we select certain foods or meal combinations that even though you're under eating on calories make your hunger not as bad and make you able to tolerate this deficit more and that's where the kind of coaching comes in so sure saying to someone just eating a calorie deficit that is simple but that never is going to work right you can't just say that to someone and it's going to work we have to find okay what actual practically we're going to put a place that allows someone to continue
0: to do that they're they're exactly the nuances of coaching but as well for we talk I think one of the episodes on the podcast so far was just listening to your body and learning from experience and like people need to try different things so there's no point saying i tried to eat 80 percent full try it for three four weeks try eating out of a bowl three four weeks try things like you're saying intermittent fasting if you try them for a long enough period of time you'll find out what works and what doesn't it's kind of with this thing of dieting i'm doing the inverted commas here people are jumping from the next diet this is the new thing that's hot right now it's it's trying to actually do these things consistently yeah
1: and i think even beyond that it's it's having a bit of all gone into why you're selecting a certain yeah. protocol yeah. so people will select it like you said because it's the newest fancy thing as opposed to thinking okay what typically is are my preferences around food and then based off that if we work backwards we can start picking a strategy that will work right so uh, for example if someone's thinking of should I have a low carbohydrate diet well think of the foods you typically would enjoy or, or don't enjoy if you're someone who has started eating healthier and for breakfast you like having, say, some eggs and avocado, right? And then later on in the day, you'll have a salad and then maybe some meat for dinner. Then sure, like, if you like those foods, then you could stick to low-carb yeah. diet. Cuts other foods, great. If you're someone else and really enjoys having some uh, oats and berries in the morning, why would you get rid of that? Because it's like a healthy change you just made. Yeah. And you're getting rid of that just because you're supposed to be on a low-carb diet. Seriously um, intermittent fasting. If someone really, really enjoys having breakfast and they feel they need that to function, then skipping eating until 1 p.m. is not going to be a good idea for them. So we won't use that
0: strategy. Okay, give us a synopsis of your, your kind of what is intermittent fasting. For oh, yeah. So, so
1: there's a million ways to think of intermittent fasting. Basically, it's just having uh, a period of time where you're going through a fasting period. So you have condensed feeding windows. So there's unlimited ways we could talk about this. Once a week, you could fast for 24 hours. You could fast... Uh, Two days out of a week, that's this kind of 5-2 dieting. There's daily intermittent fasting where people will eat for an 8-hour window and fast for 16. So, for example, their first meal would be at 12 p.m., their last meal of the day would be at 8 p.m., and they fast from that 8 p.m. to the following 12 p.m. So that's the kind of example I was given there where, uh, where that might be useful, for example, is we want someone to go on a calorie deficit, and we start looking at their preferences and their typical day and what they res- tell us in their consultation with us. And there are a person that says, yeah, you know what? I'm not particularly bothered by breakfast. I just, I would have a coffee if I get out in the morning, but I was told breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? So maybe for that person, the easiest way to cut some calories down is say, well, why don't we put you on this intermittent fasting protocol? You don't eat anything until 1 p.m. at lunch. You skip out breakfast. And then you kind of eat as normally from 1 until 9 p.m., and then that's it. And then for that person, that might be a strategy yeah. that they can use. Now, the opposite is if someone really likes breakfast but reports. Uh, I, don't, I don't mind eating in the evening, but I end up, like, picking away at food anyway. And the comments again. Maybe we say to them, okay, you were the person who, let's have you fast from 6 p.m. until the next morning. So you don't eat anything in the evening. So you don't need to do that. It's this old school idea of you need uh, don't eat after 6 p.m. Complete <laughs> yeah. nonsense, right? Like, yeah. It doesn't make any difference. I love if getting those questions, saying, yeah. But for, while that's not necessary, for one or two individuals you work with, if their like danger time is when they're sitting at home watching TV, mindlessly they rack up calories to snacking, but they're not really bothered, but they love having a big breakfast, let's say, okay, <clears throat> have your large breakfast, and we're going to have a cough time of 6pm, and they just don't eat in the evening. Something that takes away the even the temptation to go and snack, because... Now it's like, okay, six, I'm done. Part of their protocol, yeah. Yeah, um, So all these things, like I said, there's a million scenarios we could dream up where something could work for someone and not work for someone else. So that's where it comes into, like, have a think about what your preferences are for food, what your timing is for food, uh, what strategies you may or may not like, and then try them out. But remember that the overall goal, regardless of what you do, if you want to lose body fat, is you want to put yourself in a calorie deficit. You want to be consuming less, and or expending more energy.
2: I've played around with a a good few of those strategies with myself and with clients. And like you're talking about there, like one thing I would say to anyone who's thinking about doing it would be exactly what you're saying, like pick the low-hanging fruit. What's the thing that's probably the closest change to what you're already doing or something that like favors your likes Mm. and then start with that and then start small? Because I've seen it with a lot of people where they go the intermittent fasting protocol And I've worked with a few people who've done it, and the best results I've had as a coach with it is when the person just did one day a week, because it was far, it was close enough to what they're doing. So, like one, the adherence went up, but two, there was there there wasn't like huge gaps in like not taking in enough calories. Because then, what I found with one or two people I did work with who, um, kind of had the personality type where they more is more and what happened what I found with them is they did lose weight but those people actually didn't uh, hold as much muscle as a person with one so I think for someone people out there who are listening and they're hearing a lot of these strategies and they're going to do it exactly what you said I think for me and anyone just pick the low hanging fruit what's the thing that's going to be the best fit for you and then start with something small and you can always up it after two or three weeks instead of trying to pick the the biggest
1: most unrealistic change and I think the the biggest thing I'd say to people is like you don't have to go and pick one of these like well known strategies like really it's a lot simpler than that like for most people if it's like general population you want to get in better shape you want to come train a few times a week you want to hold some muscle lose some body fat like just do something that controls for how much food overall you eat so that's portion control calorie tracking, whatever just that your overall amount of food is low enough that you're actually going to be able to make progress. Make sure you're eating enough protein throughout the day. So at least three meals per day spread across the day that are high in protein. That's typically useful. Make sure, uh, hopefully, the majority of your food is from minimally processed foods. So not all of it. You can pick kind of be able to fit in whatever type of food, but the majority of it should be minimally processed. And if you just do those things, then whatever way you want to set it up, fine. Like literally that's it. Like the exact amount of carbohydrate and fat that someone in the general population consumes for body composition reasons is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it just the ratio though, doesn't matter. Eat enough protein, get your calories right, most of your food good quality, that's it. Yeah. And then from there, if you want a certain strategy, like the ones that are popular because you like the idea of doing that, then fine. But really, the benefit you're getting is nearly exclusively from those three fundamental things that I just mentioned.
2: That's that's brilliant for people to hear that it's broken down so simply there. Um, in terms of, for us now, the third point that I'd like to get onto and shift gears a little bit, because I don't think we can sum it up better, any better than that, would be, um, I'd be interested to hear about you know your training as a powerlifter. Um, first of all, like how did you get into the sport?
1: So, uh, a few years, I've gone through different phases of, of being hyper-focused on different sports, which tends to be my personality type, um, and so up to a few years ago, um, my, my main sport at that time was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, dabbled in a bit like MMA training, but mainly for competitive purposes was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Blue belt, am um, I correct? Blue, point yeah, point yeah measure, got, correct got blue belt at that time, and was, was taking things uh, relatively seriously, um, at the same time, I was still playing a bit of soccer, which i would played all my life growing up. Um, and in, in a, uh, playing a game uh, and fell awkwardly on my shoulder. Uh, my shoulder came out, went back in, tore my leg with my shoulder. Um, so that put me out, being able to do any grappling, any boxing, anything for a while. And just to rehab that, just start getting kind of more serious about just lifting to try and rehab it. Um, and especially as I still couldn't like, uh, throw a punch and stuff for a while, was able to stay lifting and just got more and more interested in it. And, uh, yeah, just found that I enjoyed lifting and eventually said, look, i will give a powerlifting meet a go. And then that was kind of it. That was a few years ago. And, um, never changed since, never went back and uh, I will eventually get back and I'm at someday I guess but right now, like I said, I tend to I sort of hyper-focus on one particular endeavour at a time uh, and right now I'm, I'm a joint powerlifting so that's how I got involved and here I am. Yeah, you're a man, you're a man after our own hearts
0: in terms of strength training and was kind of a big thing for himself And Rods, when we sort of set up the gym years ago, it's true passion of exercise and passion of like we used to just love training and that's kind of what starts it so it's great to see we've never done any competitive stuff we've got a couple no. of guys in the gym who've done it some some staff and stuff but it's a it's a really interesting area and on, on that area of your experience in training for powerlifting what would be kind of the big the key pillars that you would have for like building strength if people are listening to podcasts now like they just want to get strong or if they are powerlifters or just guys in the gym who want to be stronger what are your big yeah. pillars
1: well I'm outside of the kind of Things that go for everything, like uh, diet and whatever else, of like adherence and sticking to something consistently. I think beyond that, um, just having again an idea of rather than specific methods and strategies and how you ever what is the best training program or all this kind of stuff. Having an idea of what those fundamental principles are. And for strength training, for example, if you're doing something that you have progressive overload over time, that like pick whatever strategy you want, right? You're going to get stronger if you can continually. Uh, progressively overload uh, the system um, and then find a kind of strategy that's going to work well for you. Oh, Again, another principle that typically over time on the average your training volumes need to be increased. Um, so loads of ways someone could do that if they typically go from training twice a week then they go to three times a week, four times a week because that's going to increase their volume or they increase their per session volume. Um, and that's again, on the average, over the course of a career, training volumes going up. So, just looking at progressive overload is the kind of biggest principle. Um,
0: what you're so, saying is music to Rudd's ears here, because it's all yeah. all of his like, <laughs> the smiley ear. Yeah, like yeah, that. Like
1: I mean, it, it can be overcomplicated. That's simply it. like uh, obviously for that kind of beginner phase. Let's get you working on your technique, working uh, moving properly. But once you're beyond that, there's no need to like overly obsess. I think too much on every single rep you need to be perfect all the time. Uh, if that's at the detriment of actually putting more weight on the bar at some stage and so um kind of wanting to perform everything efficiently with a bias towards can i put more weight in the bar progressively put that over time have a well-structured training program so ideally get a coach to do that that knows what they're doing yeah. that you're going to have proper periodized program that over time is going to allow you to continue to to build um and that's it. Then if you're you have any kind of specific goals for competition, then other things come into play. So for example, if it's powerlifting that you want to go for, then specificity becomes more of an issue than if you just you just generally want to be a bit stronger. So actually, like the vast majority of your training becomes squatting, benching, mm-hmm. and deadlifting. And you might do a lot less of more general stuff that is good for someone who just wants to be strong. So if you just want to be strong and and, and in shape for yourself. You might be doing like tons of different stuff and lots of more, uh, a lot more unilateral work, a lot more rotational work, you might be doing like uh, more carries and rows and stuff. Then as you get more and more skewed towards, I just want to be good at this one endeavor, you end up sacrificing things that are good for you from, say, a health point of view, purely for performance. So it becomes more and more specific, particularly as you get in your competition. Uh, so there are just a, f- a few things.
0: Uh, so Love it though. It's basic. It's, it's sticking to the basics. It's sort of being very consistent with them and having a plan. Like that's, it's yeah. sort of the same I, with I, nutrition and training. It's, it's time I, to do them and I think the
1: beauty of like strength training and powerlifting that I like is you can make it as detailed and, as, and nuanced as you want. Right? You, and you can make it as simple as you want. So uh, for someone who wants to make it very simple, powerlifting is like, you learn how to squat, bench, and deadlift, progressively overload over time, don't sweat the small stuff. Or you can get into uh, well, sometimes what I like to do is like nerd out and stuff and like looking at every little kind of thing with like periodization paradigms and looking at the technical changes that you make over time, all the little kind of stuff that you that we might like to dabble in more the kind of nerdy side of things. And we never thing would have a stickler for yeah. the detail. <laughs> yeah. So and and the same way like just general strength training and strength conditioning, there's so much stuff to look at. So many interesting conversations to have if people want to, particularly for a coach. We we love doing that stuff. Or if someone just, like, just generally wants want the few things I need to do, you can keep it super simple as well. Yeah. So how simple and how complex you make it, we can scale that depending on our own interest, which is a kind of cool thing.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, in terms of, like, for the last part of the quiz here, we, we like to keep it very simple. The last part of the podcast is a quiz. We like to keep it really simple. So, what we've done in the past is we have, like, a little fitness forfeit.
0: I'm liking the look of this, Rods, by the way, as I'm reading sure. it here. Yeah.
2: Don't <laughs> worry. Well, I got you back here. No. I, didn't, I didn't want to bring you in and put you on the assault bike. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I'm yeah. <laughs> Cardio is not, yeah. not on my agenda. No, I, I'm looking after you here. So, we just like to have a bit of fun. Have... Um, a forfeit for the loser of the quiz that has to do with fitness forfeit, and test some aspect of general knowledge and have a bit of crack. So what we're looking at today is yourself and Rory are going to go head to head and the quiz today, uh, the fitness forfeit is going to be um, a bench press, obviously powerlifting. so we put it in your arena. <laughs> but um, so what we did was Joe DeFranco's got one where it's um, 60% of your body weight for 100 reps for time okay. Um, so this yeah. is tougher than it sounds yeah, it, it, uh, it, it, it is a lot tougher is, is it
0: 10 minutes what was the thing we was doing a competition if you did it under 10 minutes you went to Got set fat grips, grips or yeah. something oh, yeah. and not oh. one of us could do it I was like this is going to be easy yeah.
2: no chance yeah it's one of those ones But uh, so that's going to be the forfeit uh, at the end of it for yourself or Rory the way the question unlucky gonna... Danny <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrestling <with> <laughs> right. I don't do well
1: with
2: high reps <laughs> the, the way it's going to work is um, obviously on your bio on the website it says you're a lifelong Arsenal fan Rory is a lifelong uh, Leeds United Super fan Leeds. <laughs> Super Leeds so what I thought we'd do is it would be too easy if I just asked you Arsenal questions and Rory Leeds it would be a statement <laughs> so I thought who's the most well-rounded soccer fan and it's you're going to answer
0: Danny you're going to answer I was watching football when Leeds got relegated yeah. in like 2004 so hopefully it's 90s themed or something uh, maybe yeah. uh, Danny's going to answer the Leeds questions,
2: oh, Rory, really? you're going to answer the Arsenal questions. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. For, so yeah. just just to clarify, best out of three wins. Okay. Uh, if it goes to a tie break, it'll be more general football. Okay, coaching. yeah, very good. You ran out of specific I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't go there. Um, <laughs> Who's first? Rory, you're going to take first. We'll let that's the that guest have true. the, yeah, the, the prime slot. we Who is see what's going yep. yeah. um, on. Dennis Bergkamp
0: not one of <laughs> 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 who is Arsenal's record signing oh Jesus is this up to date now this recent this is highly up to date the research department's on it um, oh Jesus uh, da, 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 da. do you know this I do <laughs> thankfully <laughs> who have they signed recently uh, it cannot be it would have been on uh, Ozil
2: I have got the answer, but I might need you to help me out with the spelling. Sorry, the pronunciation when <laughs> you correct Pierre- me. Pierre. Pierre- there oh, you go. Jesus, I was never getting that. Okay, right, so zero <laughs> points for Rory. Yeah. Danny, who's Leeds United's record signing?
0: Poof, he's in <laughs> um, signed no one good. Yeah, that's, that's they spent the money. Uh, I think. Uh, Jesus, yeah, I'm not going to. I couldn't be right.
1: Rio I would have said Rio. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Rio Is it Rio? Yeah. No,
0: that shows how cheap we are. Like, that was 2002 or 2001. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, right. 1-0 Danny. Uh, That's embarrassing.
2: <laughs> go on, Rio. Go on, Rio. <laughs> Who's Arsenal's record appearance maker? Roy.
0: Uh, I can edit out all this polls. Uh, Don't worry. Um, Genie Mac. Um... Martin Keown
2: just out of interest do you know it
1: I'm not sure so I'll I'll give you a guess of Lee Dixon David O'Leary never oh, heard of him. that was a that. trick
0: question that's yeah I should have got that
2: okay. I don't know i was okay, still on zero so Danny there are two players tied for the Leeds United appearance record can you name one of them
1: <laughs> oh I'll give you a guess of John
2: Giles? No. Ro-
0: ro- ro- out of interest? i would have to say role. like Gary McAllister as one of them. No. Neither? Who? Just I'll give it to you. Jack Who? Charlton yeah, Who? Billy Bremner. Damn it. Yeah, you missed that. Up, yeah. Jack Charlton and Billy Bremner. Okay, right. Nice. So hang on. If Danny gets this, he wins. Otherwise, yeah, so we're good. still going to tiebreaker. So. Yeah. Okay. More,
2: this is to stay in the fight no matter what. This how- is for me. Okay, right. I need you. this. I need this. Uh, how many times have Arsenal won the FA Cup? Oh, Jesus. Um,
0: God, um, like <laughs> oh, it could be eighteen. Out oh, of interest, 14 13 Ah, oh, okay, right. And then
1: we'll,
0: we'll go with. He's got to get a right just... for the win. He's got it's best to three, which is first to two. So it's one nil at the minute. Yeah, how many times have Leeds won the FA Cup? Not recently. Three. No. That's offensive. One.
1: Oh jeez. <laughs> oh my 90, god.
2: 1972
0: Okay, Jesus. Right, Rudy, you're running out of questions. I mean,
2: that, that's the that's, that's it, well, well, quiz. Well Danny wins then. Danny wins. Then. The win. Danny wins. I Your hex getting, are fine. Yes, I'm
0: getting screwed here. I haven't won one of these. I you got love like them. that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. sixty reps on the, or hundred reps on the bench. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, Danny, thanks a million for coming in. I think well, there's some some really just really insightful things in there for people who are looking at this from like is talking about performance point of view, but also just a general population point of view. I think people will take a lot from it. Um, have you got anything exciting coming up in the next few weeks? Or what you were saying, you have a meet in July? Uh,
1: yeah. So myself, I got part of the meet in July um, on the Sigma side of things. Just continuing to. Put stuff out. That hopefully, people like keep putting out great content. Uh, we'll
0: put all the links up for everything on, on the show great, notes yeah. as well.
1: Um, and then, if anyone is interested in powerlifting specifically, uh, part of organising the European Powerlifting Conference, which is happening in Dublin this July, um, July twenty first and twenty second, two day event, ten world class speakers, uh, coaches, um, researchers related to powerlifting. Um, happening in Dublin if people are interested in that and where, to so, where can people get tickets so just go to com. all the emails are up there if people are interested and uh, then all the rest of my stuff you just find on nutrition.com and any questions that people have feel free to email me or find me on social media
0: and uh, i happy to try again we we'll yeah. put all the links in fantastic day thanks so much we really appreciate you coming in cheers so